Good morning and welcome. Hey, welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. My name is Reverend Mari Caballero, and I'm assistant minister here, and I'm so happy to see all of your faces. If you are here for the first or second time, big giant welcome. We're so glad to have you, and we hope that you'll stay for coffee hour after service in House and Hall. We have coffee and bagels and really awesome conversation. So please stay and let us introduce ourselves to you and show you what great people we have here. Now, we come from a long tradition of recognizing the divine spark that resides in each and every one of us. So we like to start our worship services by turning to your right and left and greeting the divine that's here in this room. So please do that now. Please join us in the words by which we light our chalice found in your orders of service. In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Good morning. My name is Becky Harding, and I'm your lay leader this morning. Good to see you. Today's selection, our call to worship, is a song lyrics from um, a song sung by the group Sweet Honey in the Rock, if you're familiar with them. And when there is the promise of a storm, if you want change in your life, walk into it. If you get to the other side, you will be different. And if you want change in your life and you are avoiding the trouble, you can forget it. As Harriet would say, wade on in the water. It's going to really be troubled water. So every week we do gather here, and when we leave here and talk with folks, sometimes they're like, universal what? Universitarian? What, what does that mean? What do you guys believe? And well, that's a whole other can of worms. We believe a lot of stuff, and we come together in our diversity of belief, and we gather around a lot of central ideas, and one of them that we like to rally around a whole lot in this church is our mission statement. We wrote it together, and we put it on the wall so we don't forget it, and we also say it each and every week together. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Please join me in the spirit of prayer and meditation. Oh, what a week in evening news. Spirit of life and love, God of many names, help us find a place of meaning between disconnected apathy and overwhelming helplessness. Allow our ears to recognize that suffering knows no border our voices of empathy and solidarity to be heard, and our hands to be active in the cause for peace. Open our eyes also to see the need for healing in our neighbors and in ourselves as well, as we remind ourselves that we and our closest communities are worthy of our time and concern. In the name of all that is good, and holy and true, we pray. Amen.
So if anyone has ever listened to a couple of my sermons or has spent more than five minutes ever talking to me, they'll find a multitude of clues that I'm a relatively unashamed pop culture junkie. I'm fascinated by the ways in which and the speed with which the media influences all aspects of our lives, politics, our vocabulary, and even the price we pay for goods. Over time, even the most disconnected, even for them, pop culture will inform how they, how we think. It influences our brains. What's funny, what infuriates us, even what is or isn't relevant. This is why when I look around the world and in our own backyard and see all that women and girls continue to endure, I wonder what effect pop culture has had in it all. How is it that in 2014, saying the F word is still so shocking? Yes, folks, I'm talking about the word feminist. Now, this isn't exactly the crowd that would be too shocked by feminism, but something is amiss when in the first quarter of 2012, 49 state legislatures had introduced 916 bills to restrict women's access to health care. And just this past April, an equal pay for equal work bill was defeated in the nation's house. Equal pay for equal work. Ridiculous. A week ago, I saw a photo online of a young woman, maybe late teens, early 20s, holding a sign at a women's health care rally. And this was circulating on internet all week long. I kept seeing it pop up, and it read something like, didn't my grandmother already have this conversation? So true. What is happening? A UU publishing house, the Beacon Press, recently published a book by J. Jack Halberstam, a female-bodied professor of ethic excuse me, ethnic and gender studies at USC, who happily occupies the ambiguous space between genders. Now, this book is Gaga Feminism, Sex, Gender, and the End of Normal. Halberstam introduces Gaga Feminism as a feminism of the phony, the unreal, the speculative, that's inspired by pop icon performance artist and singer Stephanie Germanotta, known as Lady Gaga. You see her face on the cover of The Order of Service. Halberstam says that Gaga feminism is simultaneously a monstrous outgrowth of the unstable concept of woman in feminist theory, a celebration of the joining of femininity to artifice, and a refusal of the mushy sentimentalism that has been siphoned into the category of womanhood. Gaga feminism does not simply tie feminism to a person or set of performances. Rather, it uses the meteoric rise to fame of Lady Gaga to hint at emerging formulations of gender politics for a new generation. 
Halberstam walks in the footsteps of generations of activists of all stripes, and queer activists in particular, who have always looked to pop culture for inspiration and have refused facile distinctions between culture and reality, saying that Gaga is a hypothetical form of feminism, one that lives in the space between the what and the if. I read Halberstam's book thinking, yes, and being inventive, creative, rejecting culturally imposed ideas of what is normal, sexy, or attractive. It sounds wonderful as a personal life choice or as an artistic conviction, but does it necessarily work as a political ideology? How does hypothetical feminism combat an actual, to borrow the language of the media, worldwide political and household war on women? And I question whether a new school of feminist thought should be inspired by a musical provocateur who has demonstrated a sadly poor understanding of the F word herself. She was quoted as saying once, I'm not a feminist. I hail men. I love men. I celebrate American male culture. Beers, bars, and muscle cars. It's disheartening, to say the least, to hear that that tired old stereotype of feminists as man-haters still permeates after all these generations. And she turns around and makes such statements as, as she did to Barbara Walters, when I say to you, there's nobody like me and there never was, that's a statement I want every woman to feel and make about themselves. Confusing all of us. <laughs> is she a feminist or is she not? Is the confusion that she's inspiring in us Part of the performance? Is it part of the character, the persona? After all, ambiguity and any form of attention getting combine to form the brand of performance art that Lady Gaga is known for, more so than her music that on its own doesn't carry a particularly unique sound. Now, Weird Al Yankovic satirized her dance ballad, Born This Way, with the lyrics. I may be wearing Swiss cheese or may be covered in bees. It doesn't mean I'm crazy. I perform this way. <laughs> Another pop diva that has critics on the fence in understanding her as a true feminist or as a misguided opportunist is Beyonce Knowles Carter. Several months ago, Beyonce released a powerful sex-positive album that surprised the world. She independently recorded and produced a full album complete with music videos to a slack-jawed, stunned world that never saw it coming. Seriously, not a single internet leak in this day and age. The album is chocked full of unapologetic, sexually explicit lyrics and images. One song, Flawless, was deemed Beyonce's Feminist Manifesto by MSNBC's Melissa Harris-Perry. 
because during the track, audio from Nigerian author Chimamanda Adichie's TED Talk, which was entitled, We Should All Be Feminists, was sampled. In the TED Talk, Adichie speaks of how girls are taught to aspire to be someone's wife rather than to simply reach their fullest potential as boys are. In the video, Beyonce embodied her best butch persona and then mocks that expectation of marriage and simple focus on physical beauty alone by singing, my diamond, this diamond, my rock, this rock. Tell them, I woke up like this. Feminist columnist Jessica Valenti a panelist on Harris Perry's show, predicted that this would be the album that will launch a thousand women's studies papers. A few years ago, Beyonce released a song which asked, who run the world? Okay, if you know this song, who run the world? <laughs> and the answer was definitively, girls. She, in the song, her lyrics say she raises a glass for college grads. And then in the next verse, seemingly advocates for women using their sexual prowess toward manipulation. These contradictions are what have old school feminists, myself sometimes included, who have been taught to reject objectification uh, by the male gaze, confused by today's pop stars that are hailed by so many as champions of women, which in turn, that confusion confuses young women would-be feminists to reject the F word. After the release of Beyonce's surprise album, Adichie asserted in an interview, if a woman is sexually overt, is she still a feminist? Whoever says they're a feminist is a bloody feminist. And I just feel like we live in a world where more people need to be saying it, and we shouldn't be looking to pull people out of the feminist party. And I think the reason I find myself reacting so strongly to questions of female sexuality is there's something very disturbing to me about the idea that a woman's sexuality is somehow not hers. So when certain feminists who will say it's all about the male gaze, it's for the man, there's kind of a self-censoring about that that's similar to what they're fighting. She goes on, so as long as women have the choice, why shouldn't women own their sexuality? Why shouldn't a woman who does whatever with her sexuality identify as feminist? I've just always found that very troubling. It's almost unfeminist to make that argument that if you shake your booty, you're not a feminist. But I'm thinking, well, do you want to shake your booty? Shouldn't you have your choice to shake your booty? I want us to raise girls differently where boys and girls start to see sexuality as something that they own rather than something that a boy takes from a girl. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the part of the sermon where I admit so first off 
How cool is it that we belong to a faith tradition in which we can legitimately and openly allow our faith to be informed by such figures as Beyonce and Lady Gaga? I mean, seriously. And, and secondly, I should tell you that I'm not really a huge fan of Lady Gaga, and I am a fan of Beyonce, so there's a bit of bias that I cannot avoid easily and, but, but I do, I mean, this, these are heated debates at home. Erin's here. She loves Lady Gaga. And <laughs> um, so I, I do see similarities, though, in the debate surrounding their feminism or lack thereof. Perhaps whether or not women in the spotlight identify as feminist matters less than if they're showing others the value of female artistic autonomy, which both of them do very well. The chance to define who you are by yourself. This, sadly, is still an act to be considered as transgressive, both for the famous and for all of us anonymous women. Why should we care though, about celebrities whose names are tossed around in contemporary feminist debates? Well, for one, the complexity of the conversation around contemporary feminisms points to the complexity of current misogyny. Not all oppression of women comes these days packaged in the obvious with restrictive Healthcare laws that define conception as the beginning of life, for example. These days, young men are feeling freer to use misogyny for a cheap laugh and then call it irony. But there is a fine line indeed between what is well-done satire that will point out the absurdity in hatred and show it for its ridiculousness and what is actually hate speech, disguised as irony. This brand of mistreatment of women has been dubbed hipster misogyny as a nod to Lindy West's now famous 2012 article on the feminist site Jezebel, which was titled A Complete Guide to Hipster Racism. Many of you have probably come across that article. Um, It's great if you haven't read it. Alyssa Court writes in the New Yorker magazine, like hipster racism, hipster sexism is a distancing gesture, a belief that simply by applying quotations, uncool, questionable, and even offensive material about women can be alchemically transformed. Now, instead of relying solely on the classic sexist approaches of interpersonal sexual harassment or catcalls and institutional glass ceilings with unequal pay, we we must now also confront the attitude and the dismissive and extra hurtful, relax, it's just a joke. In an editorial piece on the firing of misogynist extraordinaire Dove Charney, former CEO of American Apparel, Tom Hawking reminds us that it's not like misogynist culture ever really went away, of course. A trip to any sort of frat party will be enough to remind you of this. 
But in the late 90s and early 2000s, it was cast as something transgressive, a daring reaction against politically correct orthodoxy. Look, we're being sexist a-holes. Aren't we daring? If you don't like it, you're just a square. And of course, there was always the ubiquitous defense of irony. No, look, we're getting drunk and harassing women, but we're doing it ironically. A special sort of cynicism, Hawking says. The nihilistic appropriation of misogyny for personal gain, dressed up in a pretense of irony and satire. It's this brand of humor that leaves me unable to stomach such shows as Family Guy and such movies as The Hangover. But turning a blind eye to the increasing complexities of emerging misogynies and the feminisms that emerge to combat it does nothing to affect positive change. If we're to really understand where we are, understand ourselves as helping to bend that moral arc of the universe toward justice, then we must notice where love and acceptance is losing foothold, including and especially instances in which we are apart. We should endeavor to understand why it is that rape jokes are laughed at and why young women feel that shocking or grotesque or hypersexualized imagery by pop stars is liberating. Those are legitimate sentiments that we must try to understand. We must, for a lack of a better description, go gaga in order to go where we want. May it be so. All right, now please join me in the words by which we extinguish our chalice that are found in your orders of service. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Let's go in peace. Let's go gaga in peace. May it be so. Amen. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.